Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Now stand with me as we look at Genesis 23 today. We're almost halfway of the book of Genesis. We are nearing the end of the life of Abraham. In fact, we will be studying the death of Sarah today, which I think is crucial as well if we want to understand the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 23, starting from verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham, In the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights of current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as a property for a burying place by the Hittites. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us an assurance, a down payment that assuring us that every detail of your promise, 
your promises for us, Lord, will be fully accomplished. And we thank you, Lord, because we can pour our lives in obedience to you. Lord, bless your word today, praying that your Holy Spirit will be the one, Lord, illumine our hearts and our minds and transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. A few months from now, it will be our election again in our country, and it's heating up again. I remember 2016 presidential election. We feel the heat, right? We felt the heat. There was tension among us, if we are to be honest. There was tension in our hearts. But I thank you because you were so uh, mature in handling it. We were keeping it in our, with ourselves because we know we have different opinions towards those who are running and those who are, are candidates. And I, can, I begin to hear again different opinions on who would be our candidate this or come May next year. But I believe whoever the president would be, he has something to offer us. He has something to offer us. And at the end of the day, I, I believe, uh, according to God's plan, he gave us the kind of president according to his plan for our country. However, some of the things, and this is what pains our heart, because we know that there are some good things that the previous administration would be left behind and will no longer be continued by the next president. That's sad. It's a sad scenario, but many times it's true. Now, the reason why I start with that is because we have been pouring our lives into the work of the Lord. Uh, we have been giving our lives. This has been our focus. And not only our lives, our resources, our time, our efforts, our strength. We have been pouring it out in the work of the Lord. And imagine if you are nearing your death and you realize you only have few days to live. And then you look back and look at your life. You have been serving the Lord all this time. What would come into your mind? You're about to die now. Would we begin to ask ourselves, did I just make my life or did I just waste my life? Would everything that I did would come to nothing now that I am about to die? And here's the truth of the matter. If the things that we do will only live as long as we live, that is tragic, isn't it? It's a tragic thing. And Paul said, if there's no resurrection, if there is no resurrection, and yet we have been giving our lives to the work of the Lord, and we will not be resurrected one day, Paul said, we are most to be pitied. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, and Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 16, that if you pour your life into something, and at the end of your life you do not have Jesus, then you lost that life. We lost that life. In other words, we will begin to realize that we have to be investing our lives in something bigger and beyond us. Something that even if we die, that thing will continue. In fact, that thing will never end. That, that is a good investment of life. If anything, if you are investing your life into something that you know exactly would soon end, that is not a good investment at all. At all. So we will be looking at this 
story today, Genesis chapter 23, this is part of the succession of the covenant partner. Few chapters from here, we would now see Isaac becoming the covenant bearer. The covenant that God made to Abraham will be passed on to his son, Isaac. Notice that Genesis chapter 20 in your Bibles, verses 20 to 24, it is talking about how the Lord blessed Nahor, Abram's brother. And you see, what is the relevance? You talk about the brother of Abraham, Nahor, and how he was also blessed by God. And then you talked about Sarah's death. Actually, the last part of chapter 22 and chapter 24 should have been joined together. Because the essence of chapter 20, verses 20 to 24, is preparing us for Rebecca. For Rebecca. But inserted in the middle, inserted in the middle of it, is the death of Sarah. And I see this as a genius from Moses, because it informs us, readers, that Genesis 23 is part of the transition. It's part of the succession of the covenant bearer. In fact, from here, Abraham is already seeing his death in the near horizon, at least with how Moses arranged this one. Because 38 years later, Genesis 25 verse 7, we are told that Abraham died at 175 years old. If you do the math, it will be 38 years later, the death of Sarah, Abraham will also die. So this is part of the succession. What do we mean by that? The event here in Genesis 23 records the death of Sarah. And Abraham, being a foreigner in the land, needed a place to bury her. We realize, though, as you look at the story in Genesis 23, that Abraham was not simply looking for a burial place, for it would have been easy all the Hittites were saying, choose the best cemetery of the place you can bury Sarah. But Abraham was seeking to acquire a property, legally acquire a property within the promised land. And he's using the death of Sarah to be able to do that. Now for this reason, this is a, the tension in the story with, with the Hittites who were favorably disposed to Abraham would just allow Abraham to bury Sarah wherever, or will they eventually give in to sell their land to Abraham? That is actually the tension of the story. And we ask ourselves, why, why is it so? Why is it so important for Abraham to buy a burial place? Not just bury Sarah, but, but to acquire a place in the promised land that he can call his own. Why is it so important? That is what we will be looking at today. So let's read verses 1 to 4. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The, the emphasis is just that this is in the land of Canaan. It is repeated over and over. It is in the land of Canaan. It is in the promised land. And Abraham went in to mourn for her and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. 
Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Will God completely fulfill the redemption that he promised? Will God fully redeem? This might have been the question of Abraham. Death has a way of making you, you know, realize that you are about to die as well. And you will, you will soon die as well. Death is a way of calling you to make a life inventory. And these things might have come to the mind of Abraham. I have given the past 60 years, to be exact, 62 years, if you do the math, of my life obeying God. And because I believed in the redemption that He promised me. And up to the point, there is not much fulfillment of those promises that have been promised to him. There's not much. In fact, maybe Abraham is thinking, I'm about to die. I was promised that this land would be ours, would be the property of my descendants. But up to this point, I don't own any of this land. And maybe Abraham was thinking, I understand that you, Lord, said all this will happen after I would die. Genesis chapter 15, God was clear that this would be given to your descendants. You will be long dead when that happens. But maybe Abraham was thinking, what is my assurance? I'm now about to die. I have spent the past 62 years obeying you. And I can see that my death is also coming. Did I just make... Did I just waste my life? I do not even have a single piece of land in the promised land. Did he waste his life? You see, God's plan will take a thousand, thousands of years before it will be fully fulfilled. Unless you are God, you will see everything. But most likely, we will be like Abraham who would soon die and we would not see the full redemption. And sooner or later, we will also be on our deathbed thinking, I'm about to die now. I have been spending 40 years and 50 years, 60 years of my life trying to serve the Lord. But the world is getting worse than ever. So clearly, I bet none of us would be alive during the renewal of all things. I hope that Jesus would return tomorrow. But most likely, you and I will die and we will not see the fulfillment, at least on this side of heaven. Did we just waste our lives? Well, there is no way for God to make us see the fulfillment of His promises. There's no way for our life is short here on earth. But it will only give us an assurance. Here we will find that God will give Abraham, an assurance that yes, you will die. You can die in peace. You can die confident that I will continue to work on the redemption that I have promised. And your labor was not in vain, Abraham. So then because of this, Abraham saw the occasion of Sarah's death to acquire a piece of land. As a foreigner though, it was difficult. It was a difficult thing. It was easy for the Hittites to say, bury your dead wherever you want to bury your dead. But to acquire a land as a foreigner was a hard thing to do. 
Would he be able to use the death of Sarah to legally acquire a property in the promised land? Later on, we'll see this is difficult. The better question is, would God give Abraham a piece of land in the promised land that would serve as an assurance, that would serve as a down payment to Abraham? Assuring Abraham that, yes, you will die. You will soon die too, Abraham. But I want to assure you that this land will be given to your descendants. What I will do today is just to walk us through the story. Just walk us through the story. Nail our point after the story. And then draw implications for our lives. Okay, so we'll just be walking through the story. Then after that one, we will get the point of the story. And then we will get three implications for our lives. And just to give us the flow of the story, we will be seeing the favor of God, the assurance of God, and conclude it with God's faithfulness to Abraham. Abraham successfully bought the land because of God's favor, I would say. Look at Genesis 23, verses 5 to 6. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Look at this carefully because Abraham learned here that the Hittites looked at him as favored of God. Actually, that's how Abraham was seen anywhere he went. Remember Abimelech in Genesis chapter 21 came to Abraham and said, It's clear God is with you. Let's make a covenant. That you would show us goodness. And if we look at it in another angle, the reason why people show favor to Abraham is because God's favor was upon Abraham. It's because God's presence was manifested in the, lives, in the life of Abraham. And because of this favor of God, we are told, Abraham was assured that he can bury Sarah in the best cemetery that the Hittites had. Choose Abraham, and, and you can choose the best of our tombs. And thirdly, he says, and in any way you choose one of our tombs, none of us, none of us, you are assured that none of us will resist you, will deny you, you can have the tomb of your choice. Now, people back then value the dead, and they find it a way to honor the dead, to give him a proper burial to give the deceased a proper burial. So the Hittites knew how important was honoring of the dead to anyone of their time. Like, like today, we realized that if someone is dead and will not be given proper burial, we, we felt bad, don't we? And we still feel, maybe unspoken, but we still feel that a dead person should be given the right burial. Uh, to honor the dead, and especially during that time. Thus, they were thinking by giving Abraham the, the choicest of tombs, they are showing Abraham honor. They wanted to show honor to Abraham, and they wanted to, to be lavished at honoring Abraham. They were saying, choose. We're not going to choose for you. you. You be the one to choose, and we are assuring you, we will not deny you. For the Hittites here, the issue was simply about the burial of Sarah. 
And as far as burial of Sarah, they wanted to offer the best. However, Abraham, I believe, seeing not only that the Hittites showed him favor, but that God is behind the favor that was shown to him by the Hittites, pressed his desire to them to legally acquire the burial place. Now, this is a different story now. This is a different story. A foreigner could not acquire a property in the Philippines unless he or she is married to a Filipina. A businessman cannot acquire any property in the Philippines unless he is a Filipino business partner. This is especially true during their time because the land is tied to a person. And the closest I can see that one is when we were in Silvino Lobos because you felt that those people there who sell their lands, you felt like they were the ones who are really poor because they lost their lands. It's like their status in life is connected to their property, connected to their lands. And most especially during this time. The most gracious of the Hittites, if you read it carefully, the most gracious of them can only offer bury your dead in, in our tombs. But notice that no one offers to sell Abraham a land. Surely caught them by surprise. Maybe they were thinking Abraham would already be happy at this. He will felt, we will feel honored because we have given him the choice wherever he wanted to bury Sarah. They might have been caught off guard by this request of Abraham as we look at verse 7. And Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, and they were, by the way, now hear me and entreat for me. Apparently, Abraham had a piece of land already in mind, at least the cave. The son of Zoar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah. Notice carefully, they are just the cave. Abraham was just interested of the cave. If I will just own a little property in this land, which he owns, it is at the end of his field. For the full price, for the full price, let Ephron give it to me in your presence as a property. As a property. It will be repeated over and over in the story for a burying place. So notice carefully, Abraham, at first, maybe it was already in his mind to buy a field, but he knew the, the culture of the land. He was just presenting the idea of burying his dead. But when Abraham saw the favor extended to him, when he saw that God was behind him, it was when he proposed that he would buy the land. And we know that this cave at Machpelah would later on serve to show the faith of God's people. Remember Joseph? When Joseph died in Egypt, he said, Don't forget, bring my bones with you. Because it is an expression that they believe in the promised redemption. They believe in the covenant of God that it will be fully fulfilled. One day, Joseph wanted to be brought back to the promised land. And let his bones be buried in there. 
So then this framed our minds as we look at the, the story. That we have to look at this story. And either way, if Abraham get the cave or not, it depends upon the favor of God. It depends upon God. The question becomes, would God give, would God give Abraham the land as assurance of the complete fulfillment of his promises before his soon-to-be death? Would God give him? One theologian argued that this is more than just the land. In promising that the land will be given to his descendants, Abraham was assured that his descendants will grow to be a nation. For who would fill the land? The two always go together. The land and the people always go together. In fact, the promised land, I want to segue a little bit. The promised land was promised to Israel. It was for the nation of Israel. But when Jesus, in fulfillment of, the, of what the plan really is, and what the plan really is, through your offspring, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. That's why when Jesus gave the great commission, make disciples of all nations, what is implied is it will now be the whole earth. This is really about full redemption. Sample size, a beginning of the story, but we already see that there is this full redemption. And Abraham is saying, just a piece of land that I would be assured that all your promises will be fulfilled. And, and it is just God's favor for us believers that we are given assurance. God did not have to assure Abraham. But God condescended to Abraham's level. God could have said, Abraham, I have been doing a lot of things. And now you are asking for an assurance. But God condescended to the level of Abraham because God knew even as believers, we're weak people. We believe we are strong in our faith today, but tomorrow we begin to doubt. And isn't it good that God deals with us as human beings and he always, he never fails to give us assurance. Now after we see that Abraham was emboldened to ask the Hittites to ask Ephron to sell him the cave at Machpelah, we are about to see the assurance that God would give him in verses 10 to 16. Verse 10. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. Ephron the Hittite answered him. In the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in the gate of his city, remember that the city at the time is the port. That's where they settle disputes and legalize things. So this is a formal court and we are about to see a legal transaction to happen. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. Notice carefully that earlier Abraham just said, sell me the cave. But now he is saying, I will give you the cave and the field that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. So they hear me right now. They hear my words and... And you can bury your dead, Abraham. 
How would we look at this gesture of Ephron? Was he being nice to Abraham? Was he telling Abraham, Abraham, you are, I am favorably disposed to you. You are a prince of God in my eyes. How can I resist you? Anything I have, just bury your dead. Was he being nice to Abraham or was he trying to evade from legally buying this cave? Let us see as we move with the story. Verse 12. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land. Look at that. It has been repeated over and over again. In the sights of the sons of my people, in the hearing of the people of the land, they seem to be the witness of the transaction that was about to, part to take place. But if you will, Abraham said, Hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. It sounds like that's nothing. It's nothing. But let's investigate further. Verse 16. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that Ephron made mention in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. So Abraham paid the full price. And seeing that God is behind this and was about to give him the assurance by the acquisition of the land, whatever the price is, Abraham was willing to pay. So, Ephron sounded like it was not an issue to him. Like, Abraham, money is nothing for me. That's 400 shekels. What is that to you? That, that would be our first reading until we realize that 400 shekels of silver is quite pricey. Everyone that I've read said that was so costly. For a piece of land, it was so costly. He was actually asking Abraham to pay a premium price. It's like buying a piece of land in Pateros, with the price of BGC. I don't know how much the price here in Pateros, but in Paranaque, I know it's around 15,000 per square meter. Around that 15 to 20,000, but BGC is 300,000, I think, per square meter. So imagine buying a piece of land in better living Paranaque with the price of BGC. That is the picture here. So what's was Ephron willing to pay? It's like, okay, if you insist, if you insist, then he gave a very high amount of, a very high amount of price for the land. Maybe, I don't know, in the, in the story, we do not say maybe, maybe to discourage Abraham from buying. But Abraham knew it was quite pricey. He was living in the land. But we know that he weighed out 400 shekels of silver and gave the full amount. Why did he do so? Would you, would you do that? 
Would you do that? Would you pay for such premium amount for an ordinary piece of land? That is the big question. Well, if it was just acquiring a piece of land, it would have been crazy. It would not have been a good investment of Abraham if it was just to buy a piece of land. But it was not the story for Abraham. For Abraham, it was a down payment of God. It was an assurance of God that he will eventually, that his descendants will eventually own the land. It was an assurance of God that the promised redemption, that every promise of God will be fulfilled. And that is why, even if the price is probably 50 shekel of silver, Abraham was willing to pay the 400 shekels of silver. What price would you not be willing to pay if, if you will acquire something and that something would be an assurance of God, a down payment, an earnest money of God for the full redemption, an amount of money would be little to pay. Theologian Scott McKnight and Tremper Longman brought up the idea that for us, the Holy Spirit was given as our assurance for the full redemption. Like being compassionate for Abraham, God was, who struggled to have an assurance or else his life would have been wasted. He was about to die and he wanted an assurance from God that my whole life, 62 years of obeying you, would not be wasted. I want to simply have an assurance before I'll also go to my grave. God, in being compassionate for Abraham, God, in being compassionate for us, he knows we... Our faith are weak. And God always makes sure that he gave us an assurance. And, and as for us, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us is God's assurance to us that we are going to see fulfillment of his plan. That our lives of serving him would not be wasted. I don't know if you're struggling somehow. You're thinking, is, is this right that I'm pouring my heart, my life, into the work of the Lord? Would I now begin to think of another thing that I would be focusing on instead of honoring God and glorifying God? But the Holy Spirit in us is telling us, or Paul said in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, that the guarantee of our inheritance, the guarantee of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit given to us by God in Christ Jesus. And if, if I look at it, if the Holy Spirit was given only by the death of Christ, then that's a higher price to pay. But it shows to us that God loves us so much. He always wants to assure us that we're going to enjoy all His promises one day. The rest of Genesis 23 it's like a conclusion where we see the faithfulness of God in giving Abraham the land. Verses 17 to 20. So, so this is a conclusion. The field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was at the east of Mamre, in the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, Throughout its whole area, so not just the field, but the whole field, 
the trees and everything that is in it, was made over to Abraham. It was given over to Abraham. It was Abraham's possession now. In the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of his city. This is now legal. After this, verse 19, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And once more, verse 20, the field of the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as a property for a burying place by the Hittites. Now, surely Sarah's burial was important. But notice carefully, it was sandwiched. It was placed in verse 19, but verses 17 to 18 and verse 20 talks about Abraham acquiring the land as a property. Which means the emphasis is on the acquiring of the property. Secondly, as I've already said, all the details in these verses tells us that the acquiring of the property was a legal transaction. Even if the next generation of Hittites will not remember Abraham, Abraham and his descendants says the deed of sale, if you may, on our time today. It was in the hearing. It was legally binding. It was a property of Abraham already. So we realize then here, despite of the technicalities, despite that it was hard for a foreigner to own a piece of land, if you are not from that place, the Lord gave the land to Abraham, again, that he might sleep well, maybe die later on, but assured in his heart that all your obedience to me is not in vain. It is not in vain. In fact, the gesture of Abraham, we will be looking at Genesis 24 next week, the gesture of Abraham to find a wife for his son Isaac is somehow to show that he was now very confident of the full redemption of God. Now that I have a piece of land, this is a down payment, I'm sure that God would do all his promises. Let me find my son a wife. So did I just waste my life if you were Abraham? You're old your Sarah just died and you thought I would leave a few years from now and I also have died. What have I done in my life? I have done nothing but obeying God. Did I just waste my life? And maybe God should have said, why do you need further assurance, Abraham? You've seen me. Why do you need further assurance? And again, however, God graciously give us the down payment, give Abraham the down payment because we know and God knows that Abraham was weak, so are we. So here's the point of the story. In giving his people an assurance, for us, that's the Holy Spirit, God condescends. God went down to our level to assure his weak people that all their lives of faith in his redemption displayed in their obedience to him are not wasted. That 
you're waking up at 6.30 in the morning just to come here and put up all these things. And probably when you are tired, you are thinking, did this accomplish anything? I could have done something more that could be yielding more results to me. Did I, am I wasting my life? Well, the down payment is saying, no, you're not. In assuring the Corinthians that they have the resurrection, and because they have the resurrection, Paul said this one in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Because one day you will have your resurrection, Paul then said in verse 58. Therefore, this is his conclusion of 1 Corinthians 15. My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your obedience to God is not in vain. Every time you choose to believe in the Lord and simply obey God, it is not in vain because God will continue to accomplish His purposes. Now, I want to draw three implications. I want to spend the rest of 10 to 15 minutes on this. In having the Holy Spirit as a down payment, let us be assured to enjoy the full redemption. I think that's very important. Are you assured of the full redemption? Sometimes we Christians, and we're supposed to go swimming to Maldives, but along the way, we see a muddy beach somewhere and we settle down there. That is the reality. We are going to a perfect place, our full redemption, but many times, instead of setting ourselves to that direction, we are like settling down with the obviously inferior things of this world. We get sidetracked to the pleasure of this word if we do not know our destination. I think there are two issues here, as I've said this one. Do you know where you're going? Do you know where are we going as Christians? And secondly, if we are saying, yes, I, am, I know where I'm going, how sure are you that we will get there? How sure are we that we will fully enjoy the promises of God one day? How sure are we so that it affects the way we live our lives? That's very important because many of us, like the rest of the world, we will kill someone for the sake of owning something here if we are not sure that at the end we will own everything actually. Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. He was calling the Colossians to set their eyes on things above. Let me read this one. If then you have been raised with Christ, that's your reality. Spiritually, you have been raised with Christ. You're not spiritually dead anymore, but that you are spiritually alive. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Here's another reality. For you are dead already. You have died to the flesh. 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look at verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also, you also will appear with him in glory. Look at verse 4 because Paul is saying here, this is a sure thing. When Christ appeared, that does not happen now. But when Christ appear, you will also appear with him in glory. Now, if you're sure with that, if you understand that that is your destination, then set your mind on things above. The work of the Holy Spirit is to assure us that you will not just enjoy the down payment. You will not just enjoy the down payment, but you will enjoy the fullness of God's promise. That's just the question. If we have the Holy Spirit, we should be sure about it. Because it's no longer just about us. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit assuring us of our full redemption. Second implication. In having the Holy Spirit as a down payment, let us be persuaded that serving the Lord is worth investing our lives. In having the Holy Spirit as a down payment, let us be persuaded that serving the Lord is worth investing our lives. Sometimes we still think twice, thrice. We are doubting many times. Is, is this the way to live my life? I'm, I am serving the Lord. Is, is this the best life I could ever live? I was reminded of this in my preaching in Lipa last week. From Matthew 16, verse 24 to 28. But let me read to us verses 24 to 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul, or what shall a man give in return to his soul? You notice how Jesus was like a salesman here. A very good salesman who's trying to persuade us that the best place to invest your life is to follow me. And logically, he presented why we are supposed to invest our lives following him. And the proof of the pudding is at the end of the day, we will get to experience his full redemption. We understand in this text that whatever it is that we pour our lives on, apart from Christ, if we pour our lives into our families apart from Christ, if we pour our lives into our work apart from Christ, if we pour our lives into our businesses apart from Christ, if we pour our lives in our relationship apart from Christ, Jesus is saying, you lost your life into that thing that you poured your life on. You lost your life. At the end of your life, you stand also and you would have an inventory of your life. What happened? It was quick. Life was quick. Where did I pour on my life? And you know, okay, that's fine. I was able to acquire things. But now you're dying. You separate your li your, yourself from the things you acquire. And you lost your life into that thing because you poured every minute of your life into that one thing. That's why Jesus is saying here, the only way you can gain your life is to pour it on me. Pour your life on me because 
as you pour your life on me, it will not be wasted. It will never be wasted. If I, like Abraham, I would look at my life and say, I'm now 41. Next time I know I'll be 70. What happened? That was quick. Where did I lost my time? And if I know I lost it in obeying Jesus, then I, I did not waste any of it. Son of a wealthy parents who gave his inheritance to different Christian organizations. Studied at Cambridge, part of the Cambridge 7. Turned missionary, Charles Thomas Todd is famous in his quotation. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only that. Third implication. In giving the Holy Spirit as a down payment, serving the Lord is the truest sense of success. It is the truest sense of success. We, want, we all want to be successful, don't you? We all want. There is nothing more tragic, though, than to work all your life only to lose all that you have gained from your labor. In Matthew 16 earlier, you also sense that Jesus said, what will it gain you if you, if you gain the whole world and lose, lose your soul? Jesus' point is that it's tragic. It's not successful. Isn't it? When Jesus said, you gain the whole world, but then you lose your soul, Jesus, you were not successful. That was the most tragic thing. I've heard a quotation before saying that the most tragic thing is not to fail, but the most tragic thing is to succeed on the wrong things. Someone said that, that the proof of your success, the proof of success is the longevity of the fruits of your labor. If when we die, it means all our labor are over. That is not true success, isn't it? If our labor in the Lord, though, will not be in vain because it will last forever. 1 Corinthians 3, 11-13 tells us, those that are done in Christ will, not, will prove not to be hay, wood, or whatever, but gold, and will stand the test of fire. Then we'll be rewarded forever. Then everyone who labored in the work of the Lord, everyone like Abraham who for the past 62 years of his life, has spent obeying the Lord. Everyone who labored in the work of the Lord are the ones who are truly successful. I, I want to somehow be practical today and change, redefine success. Success is when you pour yourself into something that will never end. Because anything that you lost your life to but ends. That would be tragic. This is why the Bible admonishes us over and over again. The Bible admonishes us over and over again. This is for the love of God. This is the love of God for us. He did not lock admonition 
not to spend your life in the things that along with this world you would lose. Matthew 6, 19, he said, but, but lay up treasures in heaven that moth and rust will not destroy. In Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, Jesus said, you should, you should be better than those of the world. You should be more shrewd than them. You should know where to invest. You should make sure that there are people who will welcome you when you get to heaven. Because you have worked and you have invested on them. So again, in giving the Holy Spirit as a down payment, serving the Lord is the truest sense of success. We will all be reach to the point where Abraham was. We would all reach to that point. When life dawns on us that it's over. It's over. When Moses, in Psalm 90, they said, Moses wrote it because he was looking at the promised land. God said, go to this mountain, look at the promised land because you will not enter. And he wrote Psalm 90, they said. And Moses said, what life? 80 or 70 or by reason of strength, 80. But he said it was spent in labor and toil because of God's anger towards our sin. We would come to that point we realize life is almost over. And then we will recount life. Where did you lose your time? Where did you spend the last 30, 40, if you're Abraham, 62 years of your life? Where did you lose your time? And God is assuring Abraham in this story. Abraham, here's the down payment. You did not waste your life obeying me. Yes, you were not able to see the fullness of it. But I want to give you a down payment. I want to assure you, Abraham, all my promises will come to pass. And all the laborers in the Lord, whether in the time of Abraham, in the time of Moses, in the time of the Israelites, in the time of the prophets, in the time of Jesus, in the time of the apostles, in the early church fathers, the reformers later on, up until the present, everyone who poured their lives on obeying God because we believe in His redemption. We have not wasted our lives. So church, as I close, we can be relentless. We can be relentless in our obedience to God. Because death does not mean seeing the death of our labors, but that we have been made part of the eternal, bigger than us, redemptive plan of God. Our glory is this. It's not how much we accomplish. Our glory is that I am one of the laborers and whatever God would accomplish, I would rejoice because I once in my 50 years, in my 40 years, in my 60 years, I once labored in the work of the Lord. Let's come before God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the assurance, Lord, that all of your promises, all of your promises, Lord, will 
come to pass. And thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit through whom, Lord, we have the assurance that our labor will not be in vain because the work that we are part of will be completed when Jesus returns. Father, praying that all of us, Lord, would relent, we will be relentless in our obedience to you. For your name's sake and your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.